Good evening. Wisdom Eccentrics by Natchang Rumshe, Chapter 38, Part 1. In Holland, back in 82, two enormous ravens landed on Chimiridzin Rumshe's shoulders and sat for a surprising period of time. There is so much more to tell, but this is as good a place to conclude as any. Chapter 38, The Right to Bear Arms. Jimmy Riggs in Rinpoche had advised me, directly yet kindly, that I was now on my own. It was a sad moment when I left that French restaurant in Edouard and Genevieve's Mercedes-Benz, but it was also a wide open space. It was simultaneously an end and a beginning. I understood there was no other choice. I also knew it made good sense. Rinpoche had made the right decision for me and for all concerned. Further study and practice of Changte and Kordongte was not the direction I needed to take. The times they were changing. The line it is drawn, the curse it is cast, the slow one now will later be fast. As the present now will later be past, the order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last, for the times they are a-changing. The old order was rapidly changing, and in all kinds of ways. A spectre was haunting the West, the spectre of politically correct and spiritually correct Buddhism. It seemed to have its inception round the time of the Western Buddhist conferences in India. The first such event had been the year before, and so I imagine the seeds must have been there for a while. I certainly wanted to teach Dharma in contemporary English, and to make it absolutely pertinent to everyday life. But the spectre was something else. Psychotherapy was the new rule, and the new demand was for safety and comfort. From this perspective, I was an anachronism. But in another view, I was something else for which there was no name. People sure weren't shy of giving it names. I was off to the side somewhere, neither one thing nor another, but I was endeavouring to persevere in the promise I'd made both to Dujum Rinpoche and Kunzangdorje Rinpoche. I was to propagate and preserve the Gurkachanglo day by any means I could. I'd written two books, a third and fourth were well on the way to completion. There were now nine ordained Gurkha Changlo practitioners, with some in the wings who were in process and about to take ordination once their practice commitments were completed. All was proceeding well, but I soon became aware that I was in an ambivalent position and never really knew how Western Dharma people would react to me. There were those who'd relate with me as a nakpa with something to teach, and those who'd relate to me as some feral fellow in frivolous fancy dress. 
I find that I can be of use to people in accordance with exactly what or who they perceive me to be. Whilst teaching at Touch in Rinpoche's retreat land in Santa Cruz in the 90s, there was a noticeable difference in the attitude of students there to the attitude of those in other places. Where I am perceived as having something to offer in the spiritual category, people seem to appreciate the answers they get much more than when I am perceived in any variety of other ways. A woman down in Florida invited me to teach her meditation group on the subject of my first book, Rainbow of Liberated Energy. Not long after I arrived, she pressed me to give her information on Dzogchen. That's certainly possible, I replied, but it might be better coming from your own Lama. He is close at hand and it would be preferable to receive his own lineage. Each lineage has its own characteristics, and as you'll be continuing in your studies with him, it would be best to get it directly. She looked shifty at that point. Well, yes, I know that, but my Lama told me I'd have to wait until I have completed Nundra. Well, I said, not knowing quite how to reply without appearing rude. If your Lama has declined to give you the information you want, then so must I for the same reason. The lady was not at all pleased with my response and told me exactly how much she failed to appreciate it. The problem is, I continued, that if the Lama you revere so highly is unwilling to give you Dzogchen teaching, then you should respect his advice. You can't respect your Lama and disrespect his advice at the same time. This did nothing to discourage her in her persistence or rudeness of manner, so further elucidation proved necessary. There'd be no purpose in me explaining what you want to know, because you do not respect me. I think you've made that quite clear. She jumped on this with full sarcastic fervour. Why do you need to be respected? A real Lama shouldn't be concerned about being respected. True, and in any case, unlike your Lama, I'm not particularly worthy of respect, I replied. She sat pondering me with a demanding sense of expectancy. Lack of respect for me is not a problem as far as I'm concerned, although staying in your house would be more pleasant if we got on better. I'll omit her description of her lavish hospitality apart from saying that she did provide some rather fine bagels and coffee. The problem is that it's not possible to receive Dzogchen teachings from anyone you do not respect, because transmission is essential. How can a person like me give you transmission? How can you see me as being able to give transmission? To imagine such a thing is possible, is to equate Dzogchen with any other kind of information. That's just playing with words, she retorted. I don't regard Dzogchen as the same as any other kind of information, 
That's just trying to put words into my mouth. You're just avoiding answering my question. I asked about your self-importance in refusing to teach. I explained again. I don't consider myself any more worthy of respect than the average Joe. Believe that or not as you like. But I have too much respect for Zogchen and my own lamas to deal in Zogchen as educational information. I heard her snort at this point, but I continued. This is a case of your own respect and understanding of Zogchen and your respect for the advice of your own lama. The teaching of Tantra and Zogchen can only be given through transmission. They're not merely a matter of getting hold of secret information. If you were to receive Zogchen merely as information from a person who had little more experiential understanding than yourself, there'd be no transmission. Besides, out of personal respect for your Lama, if nothing else, I will not go against his wishes. This created a great deal of tension in which she alluded to the cost of bringing me to Florida. I apologised for the inconvenience and assured her that I was quite happy to clarify any aspect of the teachings I had agreed to give. Then an idea occurred to me. I recognise this is an important issue for you, so I think I might see a way out of this. At that point I saw the I've won face with which she was obviously familiar from a lifetime of such bullying behaviour. If your Lama were to give his approval to my giving you Zogchen teaching, I'll gladly pass on the information you want. With his blessing, you can consider the transmission as being his. Just telephone and ask. The Lama lived an hour away, so this was a viable proposition. But there, our discussion ended. She realised she'd reached an impasse. She couldn't go to her Lama with this request and appear to be keeping good faith with him at the same time. By the time it came to leave Florida, I was glad for many reasons. I thought back to the stories that Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche had told me and wondered what Sarpaltral would have done. It occurred to me that there were many advantages in appearing ignorant. I'd made the mistake of accepting that I knew something of Dzogchen. I should have said I knew nothing worth discussing. Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche's stories have served me in so many ways and continue to serve me, especially in the role of Lama. My friendship with Lama Gyaltsen was a great support. He introduced me to his friend, Lama Tarchin Rinpoche, who'd settled in California. I went to visit Tarchin Rinpoche a week before he established his retreat land, Pema Ursaling, in the Santa Cruz Mountains. I spent a few delightful stretches of time at Pema Ursaling and gave frequent teaching retreats there. 
I found Tarchin Rinpoche to be a wonderfully kind and generous host. He introduced me to other Tibetan lamas and made me most welcome. I travelled round with him a little whilst I was there and sat with him on some of his evening talks. Sometimes he fielded the questions to me and he was intrigued by the way I answered. We talked a little of how I approached audience questions and I put it all down to the teaching that Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche had given on principle and function. It turned out that he also regarded Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche as one of his lamas. Pema Ursaling was an island of sanity in the maelstrom of Michigas that existed elsewhere. And I discovered that there was a veritable family of Dujum Ter Lamas on the west coast who welcomed me wherever I went. Students of Tarchin Rinpoche accommodated me on my teaching trips to California and often attended the teachings I gave. One of the lamas I met was Chagbud Rinpoche and by some quirk of circumstance he came to teach Poa in Wales. He'd been invited by the Open Gate Trust as the organisers knew me, they asked me if I'd attend the retreat in order to act in an interpretive capacity. They knew I had some facility with expressing Dharma in contemporary idiom and were concerned that their clientele should not be culturally bewildered. I was somewhat chary of the role, but was informed that Chagdud Rinpoche was happy for me to provide that service. There's not so much to tell of my participation, other than it would appear to have been adequate. But the first evening remains in my memory as a great delight. Having assembled in the shrine room of an ancient Welsh cottage, Chagdud Rinpoche said, Does anyone have a good ghost story? No one did, or no one was prepared to tell one, so I said, I have a story that might amuse. Chagdud Rinpoche nodded and I commenced. I was house-sitting for a short time in Ston Easton, Somerset. It was an old house surrounded by fields. Ston Easton's a nowhere place and exists in what could be described as the Somerset Triangle. It's bleak, it's desolate, no one goes there. One excruciatingly hot and airless summer's night, I was lying in bed having just taken a cold bath to take my temperature down, when I heard a horrendous roar, the like of which I've not heard before nor since. It was hybrid between a tiger and bear, or maybe a wolf and walrus, but otherwise impossible to describe. The sound made me feel slightly uneasy and I fell to speculation. I'd heard of demons from the stories of Drukpa Kunli, but I'd never encountered one. I'd never expected to encounter a demon, but that didn't mean it would never happen. I decided that, whatever it was, 
There was no point in lying in bed awaiting its arrival. I'd meet it face to face and see what happened next. So I took my purba, the one that Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche had given me, and began to search the house room by room, leaping into each room with monstrously ridiculous bravado. Every once in a while I'd hear that horrendous roar and spin round to face the demon, but wherever I was, the sound was always coming from somewhere else. I stalked round, stark naked, brandishing my purva in vain. At the point in my narrative where I seized my purva, a certain expression settled on Chagdud Rinpoche's face. His expression revealed the opinion that I was a goddamn-lying son of a charlatan who was out to sound like a big shot. That was slightly uncomfortable for me, but I continued the story nonetheless. He'd stop me if he didn't want me to continue, and unless he did so, I was going to tell the tale to its end. Having found no demon in the house, I decided to try outside, at which point the demons revealed themselves. They were cows, of all things, in the field behind the house. I learned later that cows eat all day, then fart and belch all night. The sound had appeared to come from within the house because every window was open. I'd been desperate to scoop any cool air into the house from any direction. The sound of the belching cows thus echoed in every room, whilst appearing to come from everywhere and nowhere in particular. When Chagdur Rinpoche heard the punchline, he roared with laughter and made his reassessment of me at the same time. <laughs>